Rich uh, talked last week. I listened to the sermon yesterday, and uh, I thought he did a great job talking about hope and uh, pulling together what we've been talking about, about faith and hope and love. And uh, I I wrote down uh, one of the things he said. He said, in order to take hold of the life that is really life, to be content where you are, to have hope that will endure. In order to do that, we have to let go of the stuff that we hold so tightly to. We need to learn to lay up treasure for the coming age, treasures of character, treasures in the heart and not in the bank account. We need to have hope. I was reading a biography this last week and It talked about Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte said once, the role of the leader is to be a dealer of hope. Leaders are dealers of hope, and when they stop sharing hope, they're just tyrants. Leaders deal in hope. I've tried to learn that. I'm trying to learn what hope is like that we can share. I'd like us together not to go to some self-help thing, but to hear what God could say about hope. So would you pull out the Bibles in the pews in front of you and turn with me uh, to the end, the end of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Rome. That Actually, that sounds presumptuous because I say the Church of Rome, you all think of the Vatican and those beautiful... There was no church in Rome. Rome was the center of the empire. It was filled with pagan temples. What, what it had were little houses and inside the houses were little groups who were starting to follow the rabbi Jesus. Paul had never been to Rome, and so he uh, had for a long time planned to come, but his name had become sort of infamous. Some hated him and some loved him, so he, he wrote this letter as an extended introduction. This is what I believe, this is what you believe, let's go together this way. And he's toward the end, and he starts to talk about hope. Look at chapter 15, it's on... Page 1692, if you you need. Um, It was interesting. Because of some legal hassles, the Board of World Vision uh, is supposed to meet in London. They had to meet in Rome this last week. So I spent the the, the week in Rome, about uh, 20, 30 miles outside the city, where we could afford a hotel for the board to meet. But a couple times I went into the city, and I'm working literally on this sermon that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and I look up and I go, wow, I'm here. God goes, duh. Because it wasn't what he wrote. All those churches weren't there. There were just these little people. And they were just like us. It was hard for them to like each other. And so Paul has spent a whole chapter in this letter telling them how they can learn not to get along, how they can be united. Because the strong are saying to the weak, get over it. And the weak are saying to the strong, you think you're better than we are. And that's when we get to his lesson in chapter 15. Verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the, feeling, with the failings of the weak, not please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. And then he uses an Old Testament quote. Then verse 4. 
If, you, uh, if it's not underlined in your Bible already, in the Pew Bible, would you underline verse 4? Get a pen or a pencil. Everything written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Circle the word hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus has toward all of you. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now go down to verse 13. Paul says, may the God of hope, circle that, God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust, circle that, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit, circle power. And then he finishes this way. He says, I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, he doesn't know him, remember? I'm convinced, though, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. You're competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. That's, that's supposed to be my role. You've been here more than five, six, seven years. You don't come here to learn so much as you come to be reminded. (coughs) Reminded because we forget. We go away from here, we forget. You come here not to learn stuff, but to be filled up. Because you get filled up here and you go out there and you leak. It all leaks away and you need to have God fill you up again. And so he says, I've... I've decided to write with boldness. And so I hope I can be bold with you today. Because what Paul says to that little group of people in Rome, he'd say to any follower of Jesus, he'd say, joy and peace are yours. That's the way you're supposed to live, with peace and contentment and joy, and you don't. But that's because you want to have joy and peace, and they are just byproducts. Joy and peace aren't what you get. They're fruits Fruits that God gives you with something else. Would you like more joy and peace? Then, look at verse 13. Trust in him. It's interesting, he doesn't say believe in him. You have to believe things about God, that's important. But we're a culture that says it's all about belief. It's not about belief. It's about trust. Trust is when you believe something and then you decide, I not only believe it, I'm going to live that. And you take a small step toward that. That's called faith, taking the small step. And as you trust him, God fills you with joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you overflow. We are supposed to receive hope that fills us up and overfills us. That's what Joe was talking to the kids about. Having enough and even more than enough so that it overflows to the people around you. And we are able to have the kind of hope that endures anything. Not because we're smart people. Not even because we're faithful people. But because we come in here and we receive the power of God's Spirit. That's how we get hope. 
I believe God still does that today. Not sure how often God does that in church, but I think God does that in life today. While we were at the board meeting, the president of World Vision U.S. came and, and spoke, Rich Stearns. He's, he's been here. And uh, he talked about what's been happening with World Vision U.S. And uh, he uh, talked about a woman that he had told me about several months ago named Demosi. Demosi is her picture ought to be up on the screen. This is Demosi. She's a single mom. She lives in Haiti. Two kids she's trying to raise alone. She lives right under the runway. The biggest slums in Port-au-Prince are right under the runway. And that's where she lives. January 11th. 2010, Demosi is in her little shack, and she says, I remember this. I turned to yell at my girls. I said, where's the water? I told you three times, get me some water. Go next door, because they didn't have water. Go next door and get the water. She said, that's the last thing I remember. Because, as you remember, the earthquake hit Haiti. Devastated Port-au-Prince. And the next thing she remembers is eight days later when she wakes up in a hospital where she had been pulled from under the rubble. Her mother had died. One of her sisters had died. Her children were alive only because she yelled at them to get out of the house and get me some water. But when she woke up, she didn't have an arm and she didn't have a leg. She didn't have a house or a way to make a living. Stearns says, I went by Demosi in an open-air clinic that they had set up because the hospitals were on there. And he says, I don't remember her, honestly. She was just one of the ones. I went to the end of each bed, and I just patted the bed and said, help is on the way, help is on the way, and walked down and left. And Demosi was left there. Well, Rich goes back in December to see how it's going because i got to tell you, it's been ugly in Haiti. A lot of the ways we've tried to help have not helped. You want to build houses, but nobody knows who owns the land. You want to bring in food, it rots on the docks because of corruption. It's been hard, and so he goes back in December, and as the distinguished visitor, they bring him into church. Well, it's not like this. The church can't be gotten into. In the middle of this slum, they've set up just a big tent and filled it with benches, and they go in, and they, of course, are escorted right to the front row in the front bench. Now that sounds good if you're thinking that, you know, church is uh, two hymns and an offering and 20 minutes of hymn. But in the third world, it's not. It's an hour of singing and then testimonies and then a sermon and then an offering and then another sermon, more singing, another offering, and it just goes on and on. And Rachel's going, I'm in the front row. I can't fall asleep. <laughs> and he looks over and there is a row in the front row of benches of amputees. A whole six people in a row holding each other up on the bench. But that's not where he saw Demosi. He saw Demosi leading the worship service, leading the singing. Can you see her with the red headband? That's her back there. She, uh, she would lead the worship by clapping with one arm. Like this. She would lead the worship by dancing on one leg. And it would go on for hours. At the end of the service, Rich goes up to her to say, Thank you, I'm so glad. And before he can say that, she starts to kneel on one knee to him and says, Thank you, thank you, thank you. At this point, forgive me, 
Rich turns in my direction and he says, it's because of churches like CPC. We got her those prosthetics. Her arm is coming. She's been a year and a half in a tent, five by eight, with her two kids and two other families, five by eight tent, and we are building her a little cement block house like we build in Mexico. She's thanking me. So I tell her that I, Ritz says, I tell her about the joy I see in her. And I say, what, what would you like me to tell the people in the churches back in the U.S.? And, and she says, oh, tell them that you have met Lazarus. <laughs> and he is back from the dead. And she is back from the dead. A second chance to raise my girls and serve my God. She has hope that cannot be extinguished. Hope that gives life and joy and peace on one leg, on one arm, and I get ticked when I have stood in line too long for my double mocha poca macchino and they get the order wrong. You, I see you glaring at each other when the lines to get out of the parking lot are too long. And she is not there to make you feel guilty. She's there to remind you that followers of Jesus in the U.S. and in Haiti are supposed to be the hope-filled, generous people. Is that us? Is that the way people would describe the American church, do you think? Or would they see many of us not as the hopeful people, they're the people with answers. they got so many answers. you got answers to questions people don't even have. And you just want to tell us all the answers and tell us when we're wrong. I think that's often the way people see the church. Would to God that they would see us as the people who give hope. Because people don't need answers as much as they need hope. They don't need to hear about hope. They don't need to have somebody preach a sermon about hope. They need to see hope. Bouncing on one leg. Saying, I'm Lazarus. Some of you are here and things are okay. Not great, but they're okay. And you have hope. And others of you are just barely hanging on. And the hope is fading. Or you've got a friend and you don't know how to give them hope. People need to see hope before they believe it. I love, the, one of my favorite Emily Dickinson quotes is about hope. It says, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words. Sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. That's hope. What's the difference between being a do-gooder and being hopeful? Being a try-harder and being hopeful or being a religious person, a Christian, and being hopeful? It seems to me that the difference is that I'm not generous to prove that I've got faith, but by the power of God's Spirit, I share hope that I've received myself. That's what Paul is saying here. Uh, Can I tell you, I've seen hope here. I've seen hope in this community. One of the first places I learned about hope here was uh, from an old guy. His name was Dwight Anderson. We put him up on the screen here because he was a faithful member. Uh, Dwight is long retired, comes up to me and and says, uh, probably 15, 18 years ago, because we were in the old uh, room, he says, hey, like the short sermon. (laughs) Thanks. 
he said, you know, I, uh, I, ju- I just got an increase in my Social Security payment, 26 bucks a month. I, I really don't need it. Do you think it's okay for me to sponsor a kid with that money? And I didn't want to laugh. I said, of course, that'd be great. Sponsor a kid. So he went over to the table, like we've still got, and he picked one of the first girls from Uganda. Her name is Cece. This is Cece back then. He not only sponsored her, he wrote her three or four times a year. He would come up and show me, as he left, letters from Cece. It was like Cece and Dwight. And, uh, <laughs> and about three years later, Dwight died. And uh, I had the privilege of doing his memorial service. And I talked about this. I said, this is what we want. People who will share hope. He said, and Dwight got more out of it than Cece did. So at the end of the memorial service, Dwight's son and his granddaughter come up to me and said, do you think we can sponsor Cece? Not another kid. We want to sponsor Cece. Because when you see hope, you want to share it. You know, usually when we talk about hope, you think we're talking about pledge cards and giving more on the plate. Most hope doesn't have a dollar bill attached. It has a person attached. We have great ministry here through Jabbok. Some of you have helped make Jabbok a reality and do tutoring. And uh, some of the kids, there. this is their only contact with an adult who really likes them. A couple of the tutors have uh, taken on Erica and her twin brother, Eric, and uh, they decided to take Erica to paint your plate. Erica and one of her friends, first time they've ever been to paint your plate, and make these cups. Maybe give them as a gift to mom. Never been able to give mom a gift. They were so intense on this and so proud when they finished and they had these cups that they could show. They had been given hope. And they could share that hope. Erica's got a twin brother, Eric. Never uh, twins. They never get to celebrate birthdays. They don't, they don't get cake. So one of the tutors brought a cake down to Calvary. And their faces were brighter than the candles. They just beamed. Somebody had shared hope with them. So that the God who fills us with overflowing hope wants us to share it with other people. That they might have joy and peace. But sometimes i got to tell you, I don't feel very hopeful and I'm still supposed to do it anyway. I'm supposed to be a source of hope anyway. What do you do then? Well, you don't feel hopeful or it's just a duty. It's just writing the number on a commitment card at church. It just feels like a duty. Well, this week, I, I remembered um, the beginning of World War II, the Germans invaded Czechoslovakia, took over the country, and uh, turned many of the citizens there into virtual slaves, prisoners of war, and they, they sent them into factories, often to uh, produce foods, but also to produce part of the war machine, make bullets and bombs. Then the bombing of London came, and one of the things that became clear was that only about 70% of the bombs were going off. Now, sometimes that's a trick. You guys know that. Terrorists use a bomb, doesn't go off, or it goes off, and then a second bomb goes off after all the rescuers are there. So they were very careful, but they opened the bombs up, and in many of them they found 
that the bombs had been disassembled at the very end. The fuses set aside. And in more than one of the bombs, they found notes. Notes from people in Czechoslovakia who had no hope. One of the notes said, this is all we can do for you right now. It's not how I feel. It's not how much I can do. It's what I will choose to do. By the grace of God, I pray that he will open the eyes of your heart to the needs around you. It may be tutoring on the north side. It may be sponsoring a child in Africa. It may be going across the driveway because you saw the teenager storm out the door and you know you just need to sit with the mom and say, what happened? And give hope. Or maybe it's going and seeing the teenager and give hope. In what ways can you grow the joy and peace God has given you? Will that be with your listening or your money or your abilities, your possessions? You know, pledges are not the only way that we commit to hope. But they're a good way to do it together. What's going to mark this church? Answers? The kind of cars we have in the parking lot? What's going to mark us? When people pass CPC, what will they see? This is my prayer. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thanks. Thank you that you led the Apostle Paul to speak boldly to those followers of yours in Rome to speak boldly again today about hope. Hope for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I pray that you will give joy and peace to the people here who feel hopeless, even just for today. And for those this week who count the ways they have been blessed, I pray that you will give them hope that overflows. That people who look We'll see your followers as dealers in hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, give us hope. Amen.